Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number 20. In your Bibles, Acts chapter number 20. And of course, we've been here several times, I think. We've already preached several messages out of Acts chapter 20, and, and here we are back again. But well, I want to show you something that God uh, just impressed upon me the other day. And you know, one of the great things about the Word of God is that you can read the same passage a hundred times, and then when you go back and read it again, God can show you something brand new out of that same passage. It's always fresh. Uh, it, the Bible likens itself to bread, and it's not stale. It's fresh. It's always fresh. And, and so I want to show you some of that freshness tonight. Acts chapter 20, when you find your place, let's all stand tonight. Out of respect for the reading of God's word, I've got verse number two on the screen, but we're going to, go to, we're going to start in verse number one and read down through right around verse number 12. And uh, I want you to really, because the Bible's getting ready to tell us a story uh, of what's going on in Paul's life. And so I want you to really, really pay attention to the scripture tonight. And I know that you will. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1, the Bible says, And after the uproar was ceased, and so there was a major uproar in Ephesus, and, uh, and Paul uh, has just come out of Ephesus. And so after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And so Paul has left Ephesus where there's been a major uprising. Uh, pretty much they want to kill him. And, uh, and then the Bible says that he uh, makes his way into Macedonia and he ministers in Macedonia and he preaches throughout Macedonia and he tries to encourage folks and tries to get people saved. And then the Bible says in, in uh, verse number two, he came into Greece. And there, talking about Greece, and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea and uh, of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to uh, Troas in five days and where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And I know we just preached on this, but for context, we want to read this story again because I'm going to be uh, uh, making reference to it here in just a moment. Verse 9, And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, he, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and we're not a little comforted. And like you, I've read this passage a number of times, but I never noticed this verse. Would you look back with me, please, at verses four and five? The Bible says, and there accompanied him, talking about Paul, 
And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, that's Timothy, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus, and look at verse number five, these going before tarried for us at Troas. Man, I read that the other day, and it was like it leapt off the page. And I, I looked at that verse, and man, I began to study that out, and I thought, wow, what a truth. These going before tarried for us at Troas. If you'd like to mark your Bible up, circle that verse or underline it or highlight it. And I want to talk to you about this subject tonight, giving God something to bless. Giving God something to bless. You may be seated tonight, and let's pray, and we'll jump right into the, the Bible study tonight. Father, what a great day. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you for your, thank you for your unquenchable love. God, thank you that you loved us enough, as Brother Tim and Miss Hannah just saying, thank you that you loved us enough to, to give your only lamb, your only begotten son, to come to this sin-cursed earth and to die for people that were unworthy. Thank you, Lord, for your so great salvation. And Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for, uh, Lord, allowing us to come together and, to, and be together as the family of God like we are tonight. And now, Lord, just for a few moments, I pray you'll really knit our hearts together and and I pray that, Lord, we'll learn a great truth. And I pray we'll go home encouraged. And I pray we'll go home edified and built up in the faith. And, and Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll direct the service. Now, Lord, save that one that's lost without Jesus, that one that's watching the live stream tonight that may be lost. I pray that you'd save them. I pray that in just a moment you'd help them to call the prayer helpline. And I pray they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would Edify the saints of the Lord tonight. And most of all, I pray that your precious and beloved son would increase and that we would decrease. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit now, Lord. We love you and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his sake, we pray, amen. We notice here in Acts chapter number 20, the Bible says that some Christian missionaries, if you will, really that's what they were, They've joined themselves with the Apostle Paul and some of these Christian missionaries have went ahead of Paul and Luke. When the Bible says we, uh, more than likely that was talking about Paul and Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke probably stayed with Paul as Paul's traveling companion. And so some of these Christian missionaries, specifically Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timotheus, Tychicus, Trophimus, by the way, seven men. That's interesting. Seven men, which by the way, seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Amen. It's the number of perfection. Seven men went five days ahead of schedule. By the way, five in the Bible is the number of grace. And so, by the way, I think none of these numbers are by accident. Seven men went five days ahead of the Apostle Paul and Dr. Luke and most scholars believe that these men went ahead to get things ready for the Apostle Paul to come. 
So the plan was, is they were going to go to Troas and they were going to minister. The apostle Paul was going to come. And so these seven men said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead of schedule. We're going to go ahead of you and Dr. Luke, Paul, and, and we're going to prepare uh, for the meeting. And then a little later, you guys can come and we'll have things prepped and, and have things ready. And so this group, now get this now, this group of seven men went ahead I love this, to prepare for future blessing. Well, that's something, that's something there. You say, Pastor, I'm not tracking with you yet. Well, hang on, I think you will be here in a little bit. Someone said this, someone said that God has a prepared work for a prepared people. Did you know if, if, if we want God to bless at Calvary Baptist Church, and we do, if we want God to bless at Calvary, it's important that we give God something to bless. And so here these men were. They're going to a place called Troas. They know they're going to minister. It's going to be evangelistic. It's going to be a, 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 a ministry of edification. They're going to go there and edify the brethren. They're going to go there and try to get more people saved. And so I love this thought. So these seven dedicated missionaries say, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Brother Paul, Dr. Luke, uh, we're going to go ahead and go on ahead of time. And we're going to spend five days and we're going to be praying and prepping and, and preparing. And then the Bible says that five days, five days later that Paul and Luke came. And sure enough, the Bible tells us they had a great, great meeting. And God blessed in a great way. If we want God to bless, it's important that we give him something to bless. By the way, not just as a church, but as an individual. If you want God to bless your life, if you want God to bless your marriage, if you want God to bless your family, and yes, if you want God to bless your church, then it's important that we give God something to bless. Now, let me see if I can illustrate just a little bit tonight, and uh, we'll just use a, a few visuals here tonight. So, <clears throat> here's, what, here's, what most, here's what most Christians do. Most Christians claim that they want God to work. They want God to send revival. They want God to bless their church, to bless their family, to bless their home, to, to bless their marriage. But here's the thing. If you want God to bless, you got to give him something to bless. You've got to do, listen, you've got to do some prep work before if you really are serious about the Lord blessing. So most people will say this. Most people will say, Lord, we want you to fill us. 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 Lord, we want you to help us. And here's what, here's what the average Christian does. They give him some kind of a flimsy container to fill. And so they'll come and they'll say, Lord, we really want you to send, we really want you to send revival. And so, uh, so Lord, that doesn't work very well. It leaks. It's not very dependable. Then there are some who, they don't even have a, a Walmart bag. They just have a sandwich bag. And they're like, boy, we really want God to bless. We really want God to help us. Oh, God, I want you to fill us. Oh, God, I want you to breathe on us. Oh, God, I want you to touch us. And, and so they give God some, some, kind of little, some kind of little container. And well, that doesn't work very good. And then there are others who 
they'll pray something like this. Lord, we want you to fill us. Lord, fill us. Lord, fill us. Now, you, you're, you can't see what's in here tonight, but we've got all kinds of things, man. We got bass worms in here, and we got golf balls in here, and tennis balls, and we got uh, paint rollers. And, and uh, by the way, nothing wrong with any of these things. Nothing wrong with golf balls. There's nothing wrong with bass worms. There's definitely nothing wrong with paint rollers and all these things. But these things, these things symbolize something. They symbolize that this world is so caught up with this daily life, they're so caught up with their work, they're so caught up with their hobby, they're so caught up with their life, they're so caught up with their schedule, they're so caught up with their routine, and they come to God and they say, God, I really want you to fill me. I really want you to fill me. I really want you to do something for me. And God, the Holy Spirit, gets ready to pour into them, but he says, wait a minute, you're so filled with other things that I really can't fill you like I want to fill you. Now, you know what God really wants tonight? God's looking for some folks who'll just surrender. And say, Lord, we so want your blessing. We so want revival. We so want people to be saved. I so want you to work in my home. I so want you to work in my family. I so want you to breathe on me that, Lord, I'm willing to empty myself of self and I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to, to surrender my life to you. And, and, Lord, I want you to fill me. Lord, I want you to fill me. Oh, Lord, I want you to fill me. And by the way, I don't want you to stop there. Oh, Lord, I want you to keep on filling me and keep on filling me and keep on filling me and keep on filling me. Now, you say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, that if we want God to fill us and if we want God to bless, it's important, Calvary Baptist Church, that we give God something to bless. That's That's what's going on in Acts chapter 20. They're like, God, we want you to work. God, we want you to save. God, we want you to edify. So here's what we're going to do. We're not just going to let it be, you know, just happen to chance. Lord, we're going to go down five days ahead of the great apostle Paul. We're going to prepare. We're going to plan. We're going to pray. We're going to work. And then the apostle Paul, your anointed man, is going to come into Troas, and he's going to preach, and there's going to be a great meeting. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. Now, I want to give you a few things tonight quickly, if I could. Some things I noticed about this passage. How was it that this group of people prepared for the blessing of God? Well, just some simple, simple things. How about this? Number one, I noticed that someone prepared a place. Look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 20 and verse number seven. The Bible says, and upon the first day of the week, When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Look at this. Look look at verse number eight. The Bible says, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that somebody had prepared a place. Somebody went ahead of time. Somebody went ahead of Paul. Somebody went ahead of Dr. Luke. And they found a place in Troas where they can meet, a place where they can worship, a place where they can have service. Now, several things I noticed about this place. Number one, I noticed this place had a lot of lights. It had, look what it says, verse number eight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Many lights. You know what that means? It means it was a place where they could see. 
It was a place where they could see to read. It was a place where they could study. It was a place where they could see the preacher. But then I noticed something else. I noticed this place was an upper chamber. Did y'all see that? By the way, did you know that's absolutely on purpose? Did you know that back in this day and time that corporate worship was commonly held in an upper chamber? In fact, as I began to study this out, I didn't realize how common it was. Remember when Jesus is about to have his last supper, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 12, the Bible says, and he shall show you a large upper room furnished there make ready. In Acts chapter one, verse number 13, the Lord Jesus Christ has just ascended to heaven. And the Bible says in Acts 1, 13, and when they, talking about disciples, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. Acts chapter nine, at the funeral of Dorcas, the Bible says in Acts 9, 37, and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. Acts 9, 39 says, talking about Peter, they brought him into the upper chamber. Now, I believe there's some, there's some symbology there as well. You know what that tells me? The church met in an upper chamber. It tells me this, that the church is on a higher plane than the world is. Now, I don't mean we're better. I don't mean that at all. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No man stands higher than I. I can call on Jesus' name and a king can do the same. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm not saying that we're better because we know we're not better than anybody. Everybody's just as good as I am. I'm just as good as everybody. But I am saying this, that my dear friend, when you come into the house of God, it ought to be a place that's on a higher plane. Hey, amen. When you come to the house of God, it shouldn't be a place where you're discouraged. It ought to be a place where you're encouraged. It shouldn't be a place where you're beat down. It ought to be a place where you're built up in the faith. And I noticed that the church was on a higher plane. But I noticed this also. It was high enough that they could have a great service uninterrupted. Now, Calvary, I said that to say this. Did you know it's so important that when people come, there's a place prepared for worship? And I know that some would say this is just, you know, that, that these things don't matter, but I disagree. You know what I believe? I believe that God's house ought to be the best looking place in the entire neighborhood. Somebody said that God's business is the most important business in the whole world. And if it is, it ought to be treated like it is. And yet in a lot of churches, there is a very small regard for the house of God. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm telling you the truth tonight. In a lot of average churches, you walk in, the yard's not mowed, the tra- there's trash in the parking lot, the carpet's not vacuumed, the choir books are unarranged, there's papers laying everywhere, uh, the windows and doors are covered with fingerprints. And, and by the way, can I just say real quickly how grateful I am for our maintenance team ministry and those who, who jump in here and clean this place and dust this place and sweep this place and vacuum this place and, and just in case the devil has come to you and, tell, and told you that your job is not important I'm telling you what your job is so important you don't have any idea because when people walk into this place on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, they'll say, wow, man, they've prepared a place for worship. It's clean. It's ready. It's ready to go. Prepared. Dr. Chapel 
told this story. Now, again, I'm just, you know, you may not agree, but I agree. Brother Chapel said he went to church to preach, Paul Chapel. And he said that uh, he went to the church to preach and he said that uh, up above one of the speakers, somebody had took a, a neon Nerf football and evidently they had been throwing football in the church auditorium, which doesn't sound like a good idea to me. But anyway, be that as it may, that, that neon Nerf football had gotten lodged on top of the speaker. But as you walked in, it was very visible. He said, you walked in, it's like first thing you saw was that neon Nerf football laying on top of the speaker. And he said, well, no big deal. He said, it, it probably recently happened and, and uh, they just hadn't had a chance to get it down yet. And so he preached there that year. And then Brother Chapel said he went back the next year. When he went back the next year to preach, the neon Nerf football was still on the speaker. He went back the next year. Y'all with me tonight? And the neon Nerf football was still on the speaker. And Brother Chapel said, I never went back. He said, if, if there was that much apathy in the church where nobody cared enough to get that ugly neon Nerf a football off the speaker, then he said, I knew there was no use in me going back. Now, I know that some people would take great offense at that, but I'm going to tell you what, church, you know what? It's about time we get back to the place where we start thinking that church is important and the house of God's important. And if we want God to work, it's important that we have a place that is prepared for God to meet with us. By the way, can I just say this too? Parents, you ought to teach your children to respect the house of God. This is not the romper room. And I know, listen, I know how kids are. We had three uh, and, and I know how they are and sometimes they can get out of sorts and I, I get all that. But I'm just telling you that, that when you bring, bring your kids to the house of God, uh, listen, you need to teach them that this is not the gymnasium. This is not the skating ring. Uh, this, is not, uh, uh, th this is not the playhouse. I mean, you're, you, when you walk in here, you walk into the house of God and we ought to treat it with respect. And uh, amen, amen. Why? Because if we want God, God to bless, we're going to have to give him something to bless. And I'm thankful that there were some people who prepared a place. There's something else quickly. Number two, I notice someone prepared for preaching. Now look back at your Bibles. Acts chapter 20, verse number seven. The Bible says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Acts chapter 20, verse number nine. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching. And so this tells me that somebody prepared for preaching. Now, let me, uh, let me address this. How can the Christian prepare for preaching? Well, number one, we prepare for preaching through prayer. Amen. Through prayer. Listen, long before you get here, Brother Looney led us in our first prayer this morning. But here's the thing, church. Long before Brother Looney ever got up here and led us in prayer, you and, and me, we ought to have had prayed long before that. Man, we ought to, long before we get on the property, we ought to be praying, oh, God, do something today. 
Oh, God, breathe on us today. Oh, God, touch us today. Oh, God, breathe through my preacher today. Oh, God, touch the choir today. Oh, God, I pray that you'll fill every musician. God, I pray that you'll touch the hospitality team. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'll work in the service. I pray, God, that you'll come down in mighty power. Uh, and, and by the way, by the way, you know what I believe? I believe that these men who went ahead of Paul and went ahead of Dr. Luke, I really believe, in my mind, I believe this. I believe that one of the main reasons that they went ahead to Troas was to, was to saturate that area in prayer. They knew Paul was coming. They knew he was the the chosen of God. They knew he was the anointed man of God. And so they went to Troas and they began to pray, 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 pray. Oh, God, do something. Oh, God, do something. Oh, God, do something. Oh, God, do something. And by the way, he did. He answered their prayers. Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of the New Park Straight Baptist Church in London, England. It would later become known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And history tells us that thousands would come to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And when people would come to walk through the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they said that Spurgeon would always take them to a basement prayer room where people were always on their knees interceding for the church. And Charles Spurgeon would declare, listen to this, here is the powerhouse of the church. This is why God is blessing. This is why I preach with power. This is why people are getting saved because of prayer. We prepare for preaching through prayer. Number two, we prepare for preaching by bringing a preserved word. My kids... Growing up, my kids, Miss Sue Williams was their teacher. And I've heard my kids say this many times. And by the way, they learned this from Miss Sue. Coming to church without your Bible is like going to the supper table without your plate. I've heard my kids say that numerous times. And they got it from her. You know what? You, if your wife has prepared and an amazing meal, you don't go to the table with a napkin. Come on now. You don't go to, go to the table with, with a hand. You go to the table with a plate. And sometimes you might even say, honey, have you got a bigger plate? You go prepared to eat. Now, I don't know who's here tonight. I haven't looked, and I'm not picking on anybody here tonight. I'm really not. I'd planned on saying this long before I got here tonight, but I'm just telling you this. Whenever you come to the house of God, man, bring your plate. Amen. Amen. Bring your plate. Bring the word of God. And, and listen, it's, it's, it's one thing for the preacher to preach on it, but it's another thing for you to see it yourself and, and to look on it yourself and to, and to read it yourself. And, and by the way, by the way, don't just take it for what the preacher says, but study the word of God yourself. And so we prepare for preaching by bringing a preserved word. But I'll tell you something else. We prepare for preaching by thwarting preoccupation. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? Okay, that's what the, this is what it means. They're having a major golf tournament on Sunday afternoon. But when you're coming to preaching, you know what you gotta do? You gotta get your mind off the golf tournament. You say, Preacher, I heard the, the fish are biting at Lake Norman. And by the way, I hope they are. I plan on trying it out pretty soon. 
But if you hear the fish are biting at Lake Norman, you know what you got to do on Sunday morning? You got to put that out of your mind. You forgot, got to forget about the bass fishing. You got to forget about the, the golf game. You've got to forget about your favorite television program. You've got to forget about NASCAR. You've got to forget about, by the way, by the way, you've got to forget about the problems. You've got to forget about the burdens that you walked in with. And you've got to say, Lord, I'm leaving that stuff out. I'm leaving that stuff behind me because God, I got to have something from you. God, I want you to speak to my heart. God, I want you to feel me. God, I want you to feel me. And you got to give God something to feel you've heard me tell this before but when we were growing up my mom she's probably watching tonight my mom's old school now we didn't believe the sabbath but mom didn't want us doing a lot on sunday every once in a while we'd wash our car or something on sunday mom sort of balked on that she's old school she didn't want us doing a whole lot on Sunday. You know why? Because in mom's mind, Sunday was the Lord's day. And that's how we were brought up. That's how we were raised. That Sunday is the Lord's day. By the way, Sunday wasn't Carowinds day. And Sunday wasn't mowing day. Sunday was the Lord's day. And so we'd get up on Sunday morning. Mom had fixed breakfast. And after breakfast, everybody would go to their individual bedrooms. They'd start getting ready. And as a little kid, you know, you'd run down the hallway. You'd throw on some clothes, you know. I'd, I'd throw on my plaid, my, my, my plaid uh, dress pants and my, uh, my double-hold uh, belt, you know, and, and my, uh, uh, my uh, uh, white patent leather uh, shoes. And, uh, and Amen. And, uh, and I, I'd just throw something on. I'd sort of comb my hair, and I'd run into the living room. I'd start watching uh, Three Stooges or Tom and Jerry or, uh, or Woody Woodpecker or something like that and my little mama would come in there and she'd say turn that off turn that off you say you're watching something immoral no no Woody Woodpecker three stooges mom would say cut that off and then she would say this, that doesn't prepare you for the word of God. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, good neighbor. Thank God I was brought up like that. You know what my mom was saying? And by the way, my mom was teaching me a great lesson that you need to put all these things to the side. Today's a special day. Today's the Lord's day. Today we're gonna hear the word. Today God's gonna speak to our hearts and you need to get everything out of your heart and everything out of your life and you need to fit all these other distractions and you need to concentrate on getting something from the word of God. Someone prepared a place. Someone prepared for preaching. I love this. Someone prepared for personal fellowship. Amen. Now look at it. Acts chapter 20 and verse number seven. It's right here. The Bible says in verse number seven, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Look down at verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. Look at verse 11. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. So you know what it sounds like in Acts chapter 20? It sounds like they're having communion. It sounds like they're eating together. It sounds like they're enjoying fellowship. Now, now, now think about it, church. 
a lot of times we spiritualize, we over-spiritualize the Word of God. You know, what that, you know what this tells us? This tells us that somebody had to prepare for the breaking of the bread. Amen. Somebody had to get the juice together. Somebody had to get the bread together, the matzah. Someone had to prepare the food for eating. Someone had to prepare for fellowship. Now, now think about it tonight. I don't know if I'm really, I'm not sure if I'm connecting with you tonight or not, but, but think about this. You know what, as I read this scripture, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a very inviting place. It sounds like a very inviting meeting. It sounds like, man, this is the place to be. These, places, these people are fellowshipping. They're having communion. I mean, they're, they're talking. They're spending time together. They're enjoying one another's fellowship. And I said that to say this, Calvary, Let's work to make sure that Calvary is always an inviting place. Now, if we're not careful, we'll get away from that. As the church is growing and growing and growing, and it's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And here's the thing. If we're not careful, when the seats really start filling up, we'll we'll sort of get that place where we're like, you know what? We don't need anymore. And then we're less welcoming. And then we're like, you got my seat. And I'm not going to preach on that again. Surely I don't have to preach on that again. And I'm just telling us tonight, there is no assigned seating in this church. And I, you know, and by the way, not picking on anybody, but I've heard that, you know, I've just, I've heard, heard little smatterings of that. And I just want to tell you something, that if you want the same seat, here's my advice. Get here really early. Get here really early, but I'm going to give you another piece of advice. Be willing to give it up. If you see visitors walking in and the seats are really getting filled up and God's doing that, be willing to just get up and say, hey, man, we're so glad to have you today, man. Honored to Listen, you take my seat. We'll, we'll, uh, you know what, just grab your seat and sit in the back somewhere or uh, I'll give you my seat. I'm just telling you, listen, uh, we've got to make sure that this church is an inviting church, a church that welcomes everybody under the sun and, and uh, let this be the most friendliest church that anybody has ever attended anywhere. Amen. Don't forget what we said uh, just a few weeks ago as I met with, I met with brother, uh, brother Todd McKeon, evangelist Todd McKeon, and Pastor Boone up in Burnsville, North Carolina. And Brother Todd McKeon, months and months ago when he came here to preach, and we were sort of, that was when COVID was pretty, pretty, uh, still pretty rough. And Brother Todd came here and he said, Brother Steve, he said, one of the things that stood out to me about this church, he said, was the friendliness. He said, I was made to feel so welcome. And then he said this, he said, you don't believe, you won't believe how much liberty that gave me in preaching. And it does. When you walk into a church and nobody shakes your hand and nobody speaks to you and nobody makes you feel welcome. And then he said this, he said, I was just out of church. And he said, he said, I, 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 I didn't know the church. He said, I walked in, I came up here and he said, I sat down in the, in the, in the seat. And, and, and he said, uh, a man came up and, and stood there at the end of the aisle. He said, you're in my seat. Well, McKean said, this was the really, really sad thing. He said, the whole rest of the pew was empty. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Y'all know what that is? That's absolute carnality. 
know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. And stood there until the visiting evangelist had to get up from his seat and move to another place because that was his seat. And I'm just telling us, listen, if we want God to bless Calvary Baptist Church, we've got to give him something to bless. And may this be a place of fellowship where people can come in and feel loved and feel welcomed and, and feel edified. Someone prepared a place. Someone prepared for preaching. Someone prepared for personal fellowship. I'm done. But I love this last point, number last. Someone prepared for the power of God. Look at it. Acts chapter 20, verse number nine. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third law and was taken up dead. Verse 10, and Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even to break of day, so he departed. Verse 12, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. You know what I noticed about this scripture is there was nothing natural about this service. Nothing normal. By the way, if you're looking for normal, you're probably not in the right place. We're not, listen, we don't want normal. We don't want natural. You say, well, this is what normal churches do. Okay, well, well, go find one, but uh, that, that's, not, that's not the direction we're going. We don't want normal. We don't want average. We don't want natural. We want above average. We want supernatural. We want God to do something great at Calvary Mandus Church so much so that when people even come close to the property, they'll feel the presence and the power of Almighty God. We find here in Acts chapter 20 that this was in every way a resurrection service. And I said all that to say this, church, may we prepare for powerful services every time the church doors are open and Calvary Baptist Church, let's never, never, never settle for mediocrity. Now I'm done tonight, but I'm gonna tell you something. You know what that means? If we're gonna, if we're gonna prepare for power, that means every time we walk through these doors, we can't depend on personality. We can't depend on talent. I'm thankful that you play, uh, that you play a piano or you play a, a, a keyboard or you play a, some type of an instrument. Uh, by the way, and I mean that I'm thankful that God has blessed you with a gift, but, but I'm just saying this, if we want to prepare for the power of God, we can't walk in here and depend on our talent and depend upon our gifts and depend upon our personality and depend upon me and it's all about me. No, 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 it's all about him. And may every single time the doors are open at Calvary Baptist Church and we, as we begin Sunday school again, as we begin the nursing home ministry again and all the different ministries of the church, every time we walk in, may we walk in saying, oh God, power me. Oh God, empower me. Oh God, fill me. Oh God, fill me. Oh God, fill me. Oh God, fill me. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it on my own. I've got to have you. I've got to have you. I've got to have you. 
It was church time. It was time for church to start. The people had arrived, but the preacher was nowhere to be found. And folks thought, well, pastor must, must be a little late. So they waited, and it was five minutes after, and, and then seven minutes after, and eight minutes after. Folks started getting a little concerned. And so there was a little boy there in the church, and they said, hey, son, run down to the pastor's study and see what's keeping the preacher. That little boy ran away, ran down to the pastor's study. Directly, he came back, and they said, did you find him? He said, yeah, I found him. And he said, he's coming. And they said, well, when's he coming? He said, I don't know when he's coming. But when he comes, he's bringing somebody with him. And they said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I just cut my ear against the door. And he said, I heard the preacher in there saying this. You got to go. You got to go with me. You got to go. I can't do it by myself. You've got to go. You've got to go. You've got to help me. You've got to help me. And that little boy said, I don't know when he's coming. But when he comes, he's bringing that other fellow with him. I'm going to tell you something. When we walk in this place on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, you know what we need? We need that other fellow to come with us. We need to walk with God and spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. You say, well, preacher, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't preach. I'm just, I'm maintenance team. Yeah, I know, I know. And every Sunday morning when you walk in, you'll say, oh, God, help me. God, as I vacuum this carpet, Lord, as I dust, as I, Lord, as I sing this special, as I play this instrument, as I, Lord, as I sing in the choir, as I lead the choir, as I help out in the different ministries of the church, God, you, you got to go. I, I, I can't do it by myself. I, I'll make a mess of things, Lord. I need your help. I, I need you to help me in my marriage, Lord. I, I can't do it by myself. Lord, I, I need you to help me with, with my child ring. I, I can't do it by myself. I, I need you to help me on the job. I, I can't do it by myself. I, I need you to help me with my business. I, I can't do it myself. Lord, I need you to help me in everything that I do. If we want God to bless, we need to give him something to bless. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time we've had together this evening. Lord, forgive us, forgive me. For those times when we think we can do it on our own. We can do it in our own power, our own talent. God, we've got to have your help. We've got to have your breath. Lord, if this church is going to continue on, God, if we're going to see wonderful, wonderful things happen at Calvary Baptist Church, somebody's got to prepare for the touch of God. But Lord, it's not just for the church. 
It's for every part of life. If our marriage is going to be what it's supposed to be, we're going to have to have the breath of God. Lord, if we're going to be the employees or the employers that we're supposed to be, we're going to have to have the touch of God. If we're going to be the preachers and the teachers and the ministers and the workers and the musicians and the singers and the parents that we ought to be, we're going to have to have the touch of God in our life. Lord, may tonight, may we empty ourselves of self. And Lord, I pray that you'll fill us with that other fellow. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just a question or two. How many are here today would say, preacher, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. If you can honestly say that between you and Christ, would you just slip your hand up tonight all over the house? Hallelujah. That's wonderful. That's great. You can lower your hands. Is there anybody here tonight, anybody at all here tonight, you'd say, Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand. In all honesty, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, remember me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I want you to pray for me. You'd slip your hand up. Is there one like that anywhere? Don't you let the devil steal you of a blessing, rob you of a blessing. Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one anywhere here tonight? Best I can tell, I didn't see any hands. That means that everybody professes salvation. Can I ask you a question? Are you taking the other fellow with you when you go? In everything you do, everything you say, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you, and to guide you, and to lead you and empower you? If not, maybe tonight some folks need to just slip down to this old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me tonight. Let's all stand this evening, if you would, Father. Thank you for this time we've had together. I pray it's made sense. Lord, I pray that you'll put your hand of blessing upon this church, and you are, and for that we're so grateful. God, I pray that your hand of blessing will not be lifted until the rapture of the church takes place. I pray that this church will continue to go forward like a steamroller, like a mighty army. And God, I pray that we'll be found faithful when Jesus returns. But Lord, if that's going to happen, we're going to have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, help us tonight to empty ourselves of self. And I pray tonight that you're filling some folks. I pray tonight some folks are asking, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are